0: This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. You know, there are a lot of reasons to go to Zupan's Court, but one of them, which I'm sure a lot of people haven't taken advantage of yet, and should, is their events down in Cellar Z on Burnside. They're really special. It's a really nice, small, intimate little event space, and uh, go check out on the Zupan's website, and you'll see that in February, they've got a Champagne, Bollinger, and Ayala tasting on February 8th and then February 22nd. This sounds fun. Portuguese wines in Cellar Z.
1: Very nice. And as we talk about events in February, let's not forget that some of us, not me, but some of us might be doing dry January. And as we approach the end of January, we might be running out of reasons or ways to, you know, drink some great drinks and still be dry. Go to your local Zoo pants. They've got some great uh, options for you. Uh, in fact, uh, zero-proof spirits, wine, and beer available at your local Zoo pants, including some great stuff out of Hood River. Wilderton uh, uses uh, raw botanicals. Uh, these are spirits neat on the rocks or in a mixer. You can get that at your local Zoo pants.
0: You know, and it's not a bad idea to continue that past January, right? It doesn't have to be one twelfth of the year. Sure. That one is is doing that. So, um Just a good idea to check in on that now. Also, some of us will be doing Super Bowl parties. And nowhere better to gather the ingredients for a great party than at Zupan's. And also on their website, you're going to get some recipes, too. Um, And that's a great way to put together a super... Oh, wait a minute. We're not allowed to say...
1: Well, I don't we have to say the big game. You, you you didn't put the the one word next to the other word yet, Chris. So I think we're okay.
0: Okay, the big game. The big go get game. Your, go get everything
1: at Zoopans. They're the big game in town. And uh, we, we've talked about this a lot. One of the things I love most about Zoopans is their website, zoopans.com, because they have those recipes you, you referenced, Chris. Um, right now, you can take the sausage of the month buffalo chicken and put it on this nice little slider. It looks delicious. I'm looking at it now, and I'm hungry. Well, then go get out of here. Hit Zoo Pans. You, you can go to any one of three locations. Where are they? Uh, you got West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. And wet your appetite at ZooPans.com. All right, here it is. Time once again. It is Portland's Food Scene Podcast right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelis from Portland Food Adventures. I'm co-host, Court Johnson. You know, Court, I was sitting in
0: this morning sipping my coffee. Actually, it was some Australian coffee from Victoria, Mm -hmm. BC that I was tasting. They have a great kind of, they have a Sydney breakfast spot that would be the, um, you know, not the answer, but it would kind of be like Proud sure. Mary up in Victoria. And I was listening to Van Halen, which somehow yesterday I got into my old Van Halen albums on my, uh, on my Spotify. And I was thinking about Proud Mary Coffee's offer right now of a $150 cup of coffee. I don't even know where you can get $150 glass right. of wine but $150 cup of coffee that they're offering to people uh, to enter to win to people who buy a $34 tin, small tin of their, uh, I think it's the Geisha uh, variety. Um, and so my girlfriend asked last night whether she should enter to win that. And I thought, well, so we did a taste test last year of their $35 tin versus, I think it was their $70 or $85 tin, which comes out to about, there's a little bit left over after we make a full pot with that right. tin. And uh, we couldn't tell the real the difference between the 35 and the $85, but... Given the fact that, you know, it was a Christmas event we did in in the morning at our house, I thought it was kind of special and fun to do, and, you know, you can chalk that up to your entertainment, your holiday entertainment budget. We did that, and it was fun. Now I'm wondering this, uh, so that, I'm trying, I did a thing, I did the math on this, so $150 cup would come out to, like, a $1,000 yeah. tin. Yeah. so... It's like more than 10 times as much as that really expensive one we tried last year. Now, how much better could it be? And and I would be nervous to even drink a $150 cup of coffee because I know I'd f- it it would be memorable, but I'd feel like, oh, cr- crazy, but good for people who can afford it, right? So I just can't be doing that, I guess, unless we right. win it. Well,
1: I, but, I, but I don't even um, understand, like, because it's a little convoluted is, is – is somebody going to win it or do you, what you win is the opportunity to pay 150 bucks because the, the quantity is so that's that's the way I took that as is like even winning it you you're still not you still have to pay the 150 bucks for the cup of coffee or maybe they've maybe there's one person that gets it for free through that, I think maybe that's, that's what, what, what it was is. okay that's that makes what I got.
0: sense and and because we love Nolan and Proud Mary, we'll invite everybody to go to Proud Mary's yeah. website, and prou- I think it's proudmaryusa.com Or check it out just just Google Proud Mary and make sure you don't you don't hit the Melbourne or the Austin site or the Austin, yeah. Texas. That, right? Well, this Austin, is this
1: is my understanding of it, Chris. Just so for, from context, who people might be just completely clueless about what we were just talking about. There is every year, I believe, a contest or some sort of. Of something that takes place where they name a certain uh, coffee the best coffee in the world uh, for that particular year they make it in small batches and then they take the coffee that comes from that and they auction it off like basically a tin or a package at a time and so proud mary Nolan and his team bid on this tin of coffee and I think they I think I saw on the news today they spent upwards of $1000 on it to your point and it, it 2000 yeah, it was, 2000 yeah, a pound
0: Oh they may have bought less than a pound yeah, so, I don't know
1: so they but the, that basically it's going to come down to about 22 cups of coffee is is all they're going to net from this and I think they're splitting it between their their Portland uh, their original American and, and they're Austin, so um, it's a, it's a small amount of people, and I think you really have to be a huge coffee fan because you wouldn't want to be the guy who walks in there, pays 150 bucks for a cup of coffee, and then put cream and sugar in it, right? Are you? you well. That, they they don't they go so far as to recommend you don't. Yeah, do that's what that I'm saying. On their
0: right. website, drink it straight up, and I will tell you that I've had some of their premium pours, you know, six dollar cup or eight dollar yeah. cup. At Proud Mary without the usual little bit of milk I put in, and it's, it's delicious. And of course, anybody who knows anything about coffee would tell you to wait and let it uh, get closer to room temperature than hot when you drink it. But so I think, Court, they're selling these starting next week. So we're recording this on January 26th. So that would be what, February 1st? Yeah, sounds right. <clears throat> So you can buy a cup for a hundred fifty bucks. Obviously there has to be that has to be the, the thing because otherwise they wouldn't attach a value to it, right? If you were just right, winning yeah. it. So um, so you can buy a cup for a hundred fifty and they have one up that they're gonna do a drawing okay. from from the people who order their, their little yeah, so, tin. That's what okay. I understand and if that I'm wrong,
1: sense. sue me, Nolan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I don't I don't think so I don't think he's gonna have
1: any any problem moving this coffee
0: no it's been on every tv station and now even better it's on this podcast right so everybody's hearing about it but here's the thing what a brilliant pr move he got on all the tv stations no matter what what is planning and here's the thing we know everybody at proud mary i know from my experience they're authentic people. They didn't sit around and say, what could we do as a gimmick to get PR? I think they probably figured they did what they do inherently and organically, which is to search out the world's best Mm -hmm. coffee and make sure that the growers are paid appropriately. They've always done that. And so I think they did this. And in the end, someone in the in in the office or in the meeting said, well, this probably be a pretty good PR move. And maybe if they didn't, it still was. But I just don't think they started from what should we do for PR and got here. I think they started from what they are all about, which is the best coffee in the world. And they really, you know, their coffee is really special. And I have no ties to them. We did do a trip with Nolan to Melbourne and hope maybe one day we will again. But uh, I only have a, you know, there's no financial tie any longer, and uh, I really believe in what they do. So anyway, that's a $150 cup of coffee. Just think about that. But here's the thing, Court. There are a lot of people that that's a drop in the bucket, and they'll just say, okay, well, there's $150. let us go have a c- two cups of coffee for 300 bucks, sure. honey. right.
1: Yeah, if you
0: can do it. <laughs> yeah, so um, anyway, that's what I was pondering this morning, too. Some old David Lee Roth Van Halen, which I hadn't listened to in a long time. That was nice. So um, let's get to the the classic episode that we have this morning. The We now have a in Salem, Oregon, a chef and a restaurant that has been nominated uh, for Best Chef Northwest two years in a row in Salem. And that's Jonathan Jones from Epilogue, Kitchen and cocktails, we had him on the podcast. If I remember a fairly scratchy transmission audio transmission because he was on his phone in a stairwell in a, uh, yep. stairwell right so uh, last year, to talk about epilogue kitchen, some of the challenges they have sustained, and some of the causes that Jonathan has really gone above and above and beyond. Um, promoting and, and fighting for, and so uh, anybody who's followed him knows that they've had demonstrations out there. He's caught the uh, attention of organizations like the Proud Boys and so forth, and he's fought the good fight on behalf of uh, marginalized and uh, minorities. Of which he is one, and he has continued to fight it since we had him on the podcast. I've seen some, you know, broken windows. He's moved his place, but I think more importantly, in tribute to him and the, and the, how hard he has fought, he recently got a citation from Willamette University for, um, for what he's done to further from the, uh, it was a Reverend Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King commemoration uh, celebrating the African Diaspora, the Courage Award. So he received that recently this week or last week. And I saw that on an Instagram. And then, lo and behold, a couple of days later, we hear that he has once again garnered a James Beard nod nomination for Best Chef Northwest. And I know he's... Beyond, he was tickled beyond belief last year and I think to go two years in a row is uh is quite a statement
1: no absolutely Chris and I, and I think to your point you know now that things have changed for him it's a great opportunity for us to return to this uh, episode to point out that he has moved locations but uh, things are s- still going well for him in terms of notoriety
0: yes and it's good to h- see him uh, doing so well we have to get back there I did take the opportunity to go down for dinner last year and we'll do it again and in the meantime i think we've seen uh, some cool things happening in salem so um we this would be if we're running this as a classic episode this would be the third episode that has featured a restaurant in salem so bravo to our uh, capital city And uh, enjoy this interview with Jonathan Jones. that took place last March, 2022, and we're bringing back to life here in late January, 2023.
2: Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food loving customers and local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest bounty in Portland. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family owned for over forty years. Zupan's Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years, Ringside has been providing the best steaks and has been the home of the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. Portland Food Adventures. It's your opportunity to travel to the world's most celebrated food destinations with right at the Fork host, Chris Angeles and some of his favorite chef friends. Check out PortlandFoodAdventures.com for exciting and delicious itineraries to Spain, Italy, and elsewhere. Stay in great hotels, eat incredible food, and leave the planning to Portland Food Adventures. And by... In Oregon, flavor is not just about food, but about character, freshness, and sustaining this beautiful place. Our
0: fishermen continue to work hard to bring that flavor to all families who care about good food and healthy eating. Oregon Dungeness Crab, the flavor of Oregon. So we are uh, speaking remotely with Jonathan Jones of Epilogue. How do you actually refer to it? Epilogue Kitchen and Cocktails. Is that it, Jonathan? That
3: is correct, yeah.
0: Oh, well, uh, we had the nice experience after reading about your good beard fortune, James Beard fortune, a few weeks ago of saying, hey, let's see what that impact was on the restaurant. And I just went to see what reservations might be available on Saturday night. And I think we got in under the gun because when we finally came, you were packed, you were busy, but we were able to get a reservation on a Saturday night, I think four or five days in advance. I'm guessing that's not the case now. Congratulations on your third anniversary. You're doing a uh, tasting menu, it appears, for this week for that. And that's sold out.
3: Yeah. Yeah, actually we, we sold that out, uh, yesterday, Um and realistically we probably sold it out the day before. Um I just didn't look at the computer for like 12 hours, so, <laughs> so it kinda, kinda got up on us. But yeah, it's been, uh, it's been quite a wild ride since, since the beard nomination, um, the semi-finalist announcement, and that has been, you know, it's been pretty amazing. We're still riding it
0: have you seen a lot of new faces that you had seen before
3: yeah absolutely it's been um it's been actually mostly new faces uh it's been kind of nice because our regular crowd i think has sort of stepped back for a little bit and let those new people come in and experience things and um i really appreciate that you know they got us through the hardest time to own a restaurant um you know, when we went to Takeout Out Only, they were there to support us and they've been they've been a lot of them have been with us since day one, so uh can't say enough about the the customers we have and how supportive they've been.
0: I would imagine it's a little bit uh of a conundrum because they're stepping back, the people that supported you and now you've got some you know, you're certainly grateful for the accolades, but now you've got quote unquote fair weather fans. Um Going on, <laughs> yeah so um and let's hope that they're you know you' the hope is they they turn into better than fairweather fans to look loyal f- followers and diners um but yeah, yeah. that's got to be a little weird I mean I felt a little like that when I came into the restaurant uh to eat with you it's like well I wouldn't have known there's a lot of people that w- may not have known about you until that so um, yeah so uh, go ahead
3: yeah, I was just, you know, it, it's been, it's been a little bit of a, yeah, like you said, a conundrum to try and get, to try and feel, um, feel out how to do that and how to make sure that we are, you know, still providing what we want to the people who've gotten us here while welcoming everyone who's new. And you've been in the dining room, it's, it's 20 by 20 feet, you know, there's <laughs> right. not a ton of space in there. So trying to make sure that everybody feels welcome and, and cared for is definitely, uh, an interesting puzzle
0: though. Well, all those books when you walk in, they're comfortable. They they got their spot yeah. lo- blocked out, and uh, yeah. and and I like the way you designed it. It's a beautiful room, by the way. I love the way you designed it. I like the idea of the the choice of books when you walk in, but also what it does from a design standpoint. And it provides a little. Uh, break from the front door to the rest of the dining room. It's uh, it's pretty cool, um, but I wanted to talk. A l- I just want to touch a little bit on those books and what the what the purpose of those books are, why they're there, and how that has um, how they've worked. And uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the progression. That is, I guess it's no secret that um, there was a little bit of attention drawn on the restaurant because you have been an advocate for Black Lives Matter. Um, And I'm just curious as to how uh, the education of the public, it's a hard thing to do, I know. You've got a lot to do as a a restaurant owner and as a chef. So that's a lot of energy that you're pouring into something that um, a lot of people believe is very important, and you obviously believe it's very important. How has that... uh, how has the, I'm sure the people coming, people coming into the restaurant are receptive and are working on it. Is that the case?
3: Yeah, that's, that's definitely the case. Um, so we've, we've been into books. My wife and I've been, you know, we're, we're nerds. We're book nerds, have been forever. Um, and reading and, literature and, you know, self-education has been a big part of my life for a long time. uh, The library really started when we were having conversations with some city officials, and it was, you know, they were pretty hard conversations right after the the George Floyd protest started, and, you know, conversations about race relations and, and how they got to where they are, and, the historical um, issues of, of systemic racism as well as just sort of individualized racism. And very quickly, we realized that, I realized that there was a pretty big disconnect between the, the level of just like personal experience but also education that I had and what these elected officials had. And one thing that sticks in my mind is that uh, I brought up, Truth and reconciliation as a concept that, you know, that Mandela and the clerk were using, um, to try and sort of fix quote unquote, uh, apartheid and, and to get uh, South Africa out of, out of that quagmire. And one of the elected officials that we were speaking to had never heard of that concept, um, and actually didn't really know what apartheid was. And that was sort of the, this aha moment for me. I was like, okay, we can't have productive conversations about any of this without having some sort of basic level footing. Um, and so I already had a ton of these books, and you know, we had at the time an empty dining room because we were just doing takeout. And so I just took our at the it, it was a, our hostess stand that so was just sitting there covered in takeout boxes, and just converted that into a little little library to put up front and um, announced that it was there and very quickly it got really well received because the public library was also closed at the time and so people who were trying to find a way to educate themselves about what was for them like pretty new right it was a lot of white people who had never had the experience of racism who had never had to think about it in any deep way and now they wanted to they, they were shown this thing they were you know their hearts and minds were open and they just needed the opportunity to to pursue that before it before it went away before like the, the the impetus left and so striking while they are in the hot situation um, putting that library together announcing it was there it's free um, we do you know we require deposits, but that's just to cover if something doesn't come back and it's refundable when the book does come back. Um, and it has been, you know, one of our proudest moments actually has been that educational. Obviously, I'm in this because I love to communicate via food, but my whole life has sort of been around how do I, how do I communicate my experience and how do I help educate in a productive and like a a caring way and, this, the library, plus all the, we have literature that we've also created that's just sort of like compilations of other books and other resources. Um, and those have been really well received as well.
0: Uh, you know, you you touched on something that obviously hit me. I'm a white guy. I'm older. I grew up in a fairly, you know, in the Northeast. I, when when this all happened, and it's interesting that we say when this all happened because it's been going on for a long time, but when George, the George Floyd incident happened, it caused a lot of us to think about how, how we viewed race relations um, and then there's the second part of that, what we would do about it. Um, so, uh, you know, one of my feelings was it's a long as you say on your website, it's a long process. It's a marathon because nothing's going to change overnight. You've got the people who are receptive to the message and want to learn about it. And then you have some people that will never pick up a book and will never change. And so you're kind of working on the middle ground, right? I would think you're working on those people in the middle to help educate them and maybe change things on... The, the side that isn't going to change at all. So to make people aware, it's a long go. And I know, you know, yeah. I remember when it first happened, I have some African American friends and I was very uncomfortable with discussing it because I just didn't want to say the wrong thing. And I still kind of feel that way coming up to this interview with you. I just don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, and I, but I, I understand that you are sympathetic to that too. Because I could see it in yeah. what you were writing, so it's kind of like we're all in this together, but we're coming at this from a different angle. And then, you know, I feel I felt guilty all along that I haven't taken action enough. On the other hand, you know, there's there's different degrees of action, so people have to decide on their own what they would do. But I think Absolutely. it's uh, I think it's great that in your words here today and there, it indicates that you are um you understand there's there's feelings on both sides and we just need to have a meeting of the minds reading is a great way to do that i think and i i, I commend you for taking that uh that approach it's not the only approach you've taken i'm sure but uh right. I, I commend yeah. you for that that to me is a smart approach in getting discussions going and more importantly thoughts so um yeah. So that's, yeah, and you know, okay. go, go ahead.
3: Uh, just one of the one of the things that has come up with that, and it was a hard learning curve for me, um, was to to learn how to spot the difference between someone who wanted to learn and someone who had no intention of learning, had no intention of becoming a better person, and how to sort of because. One of the, you know, the the former is someone that I will spend a lot of energy on. And the latter is someone who I have learned to not spend energy
0: on. (laughs) So I'm curious, what are some of the, uh, what are some of the tells on that?
3: Um, the, honestly, the the biggest tell right now is if someone approaches the conversation, um, about the phrase Black Lives Matter, and the first thing they say is, well, all lives matter. Because we are now, we're now two years, two years plus removed from George Floyd. But even prior to that, that phrase has existed. And if you haven't taken the time in the five-ish years to understand why the response to Black Lives Matter is is to first say that they don't, then, like, I don't have... I don't have energy or time for that, and and I know that what you're doing is faith and and what you're trying to do, you're not trying to learn, you're not trying to you know grow your mind a little bit. You're you just have your position and you're staying there. But we have a lot of people who who start conversations with us, with me in particular, by saying like, you know, I had no idea, I didn't know, and that to me says that they are just sort of lost in the in the very large, you know, issue of race relations in America. And that's someone who actually, like, as hard as those conversations may be, that's a conversation I'm going to have 100% of the time. And yeah. so that's, honestly, uh, that's, that's sort of the biggest tell.
0: <laughs> right. I, um, I don't think I ever used that phrase, and I'm not being defensive in saying that, but I knew when I heard, Very quickly, when I heard people say all lives matter, that they weren't getting it, that they weren't saying this is time to, um, you know, this is time to acknowledge that this is not about, this isn't about white people. This is about acknowledging what has been going on. And yes, Jonathan, it was a learning experience because those of us who aren't in your shoes may have over the years understood that, that we had advantages that you don't have as a, as a people, um, but I don't think we, I don't think, you know, sometimes we turn our, turn off the news when there's shit we don't want to see, and over the years, yeah. it maybe wasn't even covered, but boy, in the last couple of years, it. if you're not watching the news, if you watch the news and you don't think there's some shit going on that has been just awful, and some of the outcomes of the, in uh, in court cases, are just absolutely uh, unfair. Um, then, uh, then you're not paying attention, and I guess that's yeah. uh, that's a big part of it too. So,
2: um, and there,
3: there's no shame in not knowing. That that's I, I view that in the same way that I view the way that I create things in the kitchen. Is you know, Mitch Frizzle said it best. You know, make mistakes, get messy. That's and that's the only way to approach food. It's the only way to approach trying to understand the complexity of our society. You know, like it's gonna be messy, but you got to do it.
0: Well, I think that's a that's a, a loving statement that you just made because, yeah, I I looked at myself as it's not my fault I grew up where I grew up, and um, but you know we're all here to learn and uh, sure. and. Um, I think that was a big, a big period. I don't know how much you want to uh, focus on that. I just thought it was important to talk. If we're, if we're going to have a conversation, that's a conversation you've been having. And it's an important one. So um, I don't want to spend an entire podcast on that because you've got some really uh, wonderful things. And by the way, realization for people and making even incremental change is a wonderful thing. So that's great that changes have been, you know, and so I want to ask you quickly before we move on to it, how much was your focus on Black Lives Matter before George Floyd? And then how much of your time now you're a busy man with your restaurant, (laughs) with not only operating it and doing all the things that you need to do to operate it, but cooking in the kitchen and making sure everybody's happy. How much of your uh, energy is spent on that? now versus before and how much do you think you're going to need to spend in the future
3: um so before i was actually honestly a lot of my community outreach was more focused on uh, the unsheltered, and that has maintained but um there's a lot of internalized like um not othering but uh lessening um one of the things you're sort of taught as as a non-white person in the country is that your needs come after other people. And so prior to the sort of reawakening um, after George Floyd's murder was a lot of my energy in that and in that venue was like um was was on other other things directly tied to my life. Um, after he was killed while we were doing just takeout, I would say probably like 80% of my focus was on, was on activism and community outreach. Um, now that we're, you know, we're back to dine in for the fourth time and hopefully the last time that we'll have to make that change. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
3: but now that we're back to that, I've really had to dial it back to, you know, 20%. Um, it's less, less of the day to day and more of the, the groundwork has already been laid down. And there's other people doing the work now who, who I can sort of assist and I, I still have, you know, the ideas and we still run events and we still do that stuff. But the, the legwork, I don't have to do quite as much now and I can focus on the, the food side of things for a little while.
0: All right, so a couple of quick questions on that, and then I'd like I'd like to move on to your your journey, your rights at the any rights at the fork that you've taken. Um, but do you feel as though progress has been made? Do you see it in a tangible way? And do you think that it's possible that once people the the fervor of what happened a couple of years ago dies down a little bit that the spark is going to need to be ignited either in a positive way or have things happen to do have it happen again?
3: I think that we have, individually, there's been a lot of progress. Um, people that I have met now and have had enough time to have conversations through this whole thing, um, there's been a lot of change and a lot of people are now a little bit more um, aware of The reality of, those situations and they're more willing to have hard conversations, more willing to sort of, uh, not, not write off, but cut out and force other people who have not yet done the work to be receptive to the hard conversation, uh, until they are willing to do that work. And I think that's a big part of the process. you, You don't, you don't reach a point where you're able to have those conversations until you have a reason to do so. And if, if you're a person who's harboring a lot of, you know, uh, bigoted thoughts until the people around you say like, Hey, we're not going to tolerate that. We want to help you. And we want to love you. But those thoughts are not something that we're going to entertain. Um, and until you hit that point, then you don't really have an impetus to, to change. And I think a lot of people are being more comfortable with saying to their loved ones, like, Hey, like as soon as you, as soon as you signal that you are actually having conversations then you're back in the fold, but for now, like you're, you're out there until so you figure that out for yourself. Um, so that, that part I think has been really good and, and a lot of progress has been made. I think that systemically very little has changed. Um, there was, you know, we've had a, a couple high-profile cases go the right way, but it hasn't actually changed anything in policy. Um, there's a couple police departments around the country that are perhaps changing their policy, but there's there's still so much pushback from police unions and, and, you know, individual officers that that's not changing. And so I think, you know, like you said, like I said, it's a marathon. I think two years seems like a long time to be having this conversation. And I think at the end of the day, it's just not, like, it's not a long time. It's, we're still, we're in the infancy of this new wave of civil rights activism. Um uh, So I'm hopeful that we don't need another high-profile murder to keep the spark alive. But I kind of think that is already dying down a little bit. We've seen it. The protests that have gone on since then that we that I've been a part of that I've gone to, and the numbers dwindle, right? And you know, we went from having two thousand people in the street in Salem to a couple dozen, and which is not to say the work isn't being done, you know, off the street because there's like you, there's a lot of avenues to make this stuff happen. But I think that people get tired, and without a, a reinvigoration, then, and a reminder, then they lose interest. And I'm hopeful that our restaurant serves as that like gentle reminder that all of this is still here.
0: Yeah, well, I I think so. I think you're a, obviously an intelligent and thoughtful person, and I um, I commend you for for being. I I believe you know I I haven't seen all that you've done in the past two years, but it seems to me that you're taking a sympathetic and, uh, I, of course, as a as a white guy, um, uh, you know, an understanding approach, too, that we that a lot of people have a long way to go. And we're, we live in a country where, what, 70-plus million people voted for Trump? Those are a lot of yeah. people whose minds aren't going to be changed fast. So I view it as, you know, I, I grew up in an era where, um, you know, People were very. There was a lot of bullying going on in school, and my son, who has Asperger's syndrome, we were, we were really scared for his future, what he was going to go through, and we were happy in the in the nineties. Was it, yeah, it was the nineties, and through the two thousands, that things had at least progressed in that regard for our son. So because, because let's face it, older people with entrenched values move on and then younger people with who have uh, more open minds um, and are taught differently from a younger mind take hold in society so it's going to take i would say in 20 or 30 years maybe we won't have these challenges or as many who knows but um but i think you know over time when you have different people making decisions and acting on things will will definitely see a difference and folks like you won't have to work as hard doing it and everyone i shouldn't just put it all on you everyone so it's a collective effort so so let's talk about covid no i just thought you're celebrating you're celebrating your third anniversary and couldn't have picked us uh I don't know. I, you know, I think in the long run you're going to you may be stronger for it all, but wow, to to choose yeah. to open in 2019 um, and then a year later have all this stuff happen. Uh, COVID and then everything else. Y- you know, you've swung the heavy bat, you know, proverbially when they uh, when the on deck batter is swinging the bat with a donut and then they get up. I I'm hoping yeah. that's the case. So you're just going to be Killing it and when we come out of this. Yeah,
3: it's uh we definitely are pardon now. Um the the crew is definitely sort of um kinda always waiting for the other for the other shoe to drop. Um uh, there's a there's a bit of a I don't know, uh trepidation, a trauma response to having to constantly make changes during that period when we were to take out and then tentatively we did dine in and then we shut it down again and we reopened and shut it down and reopened and so now it's like i think it's going to take a little while before we're just sort of like used to things going smoothly (laughs) um but yeah we are we are now very well versed in how to make those changes and how to do it quickly
0: (laughs) and also to to yes to um anticipate that you can't get too comfortable with anything because whoever thought all the stuff that happened was going to happen in the way that it happened over the last two years you you now know you can never be too comfortable and shit now we got this war going on uh or so to speak whatever it might be who knows but uh yeah it's it's been a tough go so i'm hoping that for you and many restaurants i have a lot of friends in the business that you've developed a really nice uh profit center and takeout that will continue so that you'll have that along with your dining business that you may not have had had all this yeah. not occurred yeah in
3: fact uh prior to you know march 2020 we actually didn't do any takeout at all um we sort of refuse to do it. Cause a lot of our food just doesn't travel well. And right. our takeout menu is not, and it's not what our dining menu is. There's some crossover, but it's not entirely the same. So, um, that was one of the things we had to do was learn, okay, what, what are we okay with sending out the door? And what, what will we absolutely not do? How do we keep people excited? How do we keep ourselves excited? Um, because you know, I didn't get into this business to put food in boxes and not interact with people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm sure. I know you haven't listened to this podcast over the last couple of years, but there, you know, if I ever had a um, a forum to talk to bitch about stuff, I have hit the point where I thought I don't want to eat food in boxes anymore. That's to me isn't dining; yeah. it's just yeah. <laughs> eating, and and um, and so I can And I we had a nice discussion with Vitaly Paley about all his pivots during this. And here's a guy who you know was trained not to put food yeah. in boxes. And you know, any any great chef isn't serving food to travel could be an hour to be taken out of a box and then maybe not even plated, yeah. eaten out of the <laughs> box. That is just. <laughs> So, I mean, there are all these factors that go into it, but so, but, you know, I think for takeout in the future, you have some items that could do well for people who want the convenience. Um, but so do you think you're, you're better positioned now to be a little more profitable now that you had to tighten some things up and figure them out? And of course you still have issues coming out of this with higher food costs and, or The la- the labor pool is really tough right now. So uh, I don't know if we're ever going to, you know, I don't know if it's ever going to be smooth sailing, but that anybody in the restaurant business is, is ever going to say, this was the greatest thing I could have done. Uh, yeah. It's your passion. You're there. But as far as the business is concerned, it's a tough.
3: Car. Yeah. I don't think it's ever going to be smooth. And I think just from a sanity standpoint, I think I have to adopt that mentality that, you know, plan for it to always be chaos and then allow myself to enjoy the moment when it is sort of peaceful and tranquility. And because otherwise you're just setting yourself up for just constant heartache and constant ulcers. And, <laughs> and you know, they that was sort of a, a defense mechanism that, that I developed that I know everyone I know in the industry developed was like, yeah, you know what? It's been, it's been chaos for so long now that the only way for us to go forward is to just accept that that's the way it, that it's going to be and try and thrive within that new reality and that model. Uh, so, you know, we're going to try and keep takeout. Our kitchen very, very small. And so when we have, when we have full dining room, it's really hard for us to also do, uh, you know, any sort of robust takeout service. So, Over the last two weeks, we've been actually turning off takeout during peak dine-in hours, which I'm not super happy about. And I feel bad because a lot of those folks who have supported us are still not going out for whatever reason. And and we are just, you know, it feels a little bit like we're abandoning them. We're trying hard not to. Um, In fact, next week, because we're not doing any takeout at all this this weekend because of the the tasting menu, Uh, next week we're going to instead run some takeout-only specials and just try and sort of, you know, bounce back and forth, make sure that they know that we haven't forgotten about them and that we haven't forgotten what they did for us.
0: So I, my suggestion to you to make it easy, and I'm not a professional at all, but just work around your biscuits because those are the best biscuits I can remember having <laughs> oh, in my life we we got some to go, and we had them for two breakfasts the next two days and um, yeah, if you can work around those, those thank travel you. well. you just heat yeah. those up and they're <laughs> so um, I'm sure you've got you've got a more uh, a more vast uh, menu that you have in mind, but but those work really well. Do you? So let's talk a little bit about this wonderful James Beard nomination that you got. It seems to me in our discussion, and from what I've read, it came out of left field completely for you. So, uh, and and how ha- So it's been a couple of weeks. How have you operated since? Is there anything you can do to help yourself win the whole thing, or do you just go doing what you're doing and, and hope?
3: Uh, I, I think we just do what we do. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything we can do. Um, (laughs) I, we, I took the crew out, uh, flat on Monday night and did a little celebration. And we talked about that a little bit. And I was like, honestly, like, we didn't even know that we were in the conversation and we were just doing what we did. So we're going to continue to do that. And, (laughs) um, you know, we are, we are excellent and we've known that. And so we're just gonna, we're just gonna keep on keeping on and hope, I think, right? At some point, at some point, someone from the subcommittee comes to the restaurant, um, and hope that we catch them right and that they are yeah. right. <laughs> well, you
0: never, you, you never know, but how does it feel? I mean, I think it's fantastic for you personally and your staff. They've obviously worked very hard. But don't I see it as? For a long time, I've been doing what I've been doing for a dozen years now. I can't believe that, but a dozen years and Salem was never in the conversation. Like with the Portland food scene, it's not like someone said, "Hey, right. you got to go down to Salem." That never happened. And so now, all of a sudden, you—how do you feel that you shined the spotlight on the on the capital city that that really didn't have a dining spotlight on it? And I'm going to say. We've, I've spent a little time down there. I've actually found that there's some nice spots down there that people should visit, including yours. It's pretty cool, and it's an alternative. And it's not far. It's 35 miles from, from Portland. Right, right.
3: 35 miles, yeah. It doesn't, doesn't take that long to get there And down. there's lots of... Um, let me just say, there's lots I, yeah, of cheap I mean, gas on
0: the way. If you want to fill up, you got those two gas stations on the way that are cheaper <laughs> than anything else in Portland.
3: Yeah. And Salem is also... You know, we, we are the... Sort of gateway to world class wine. Um, you know, 10 minutes away from us, just in, just in West Salem, there's absolute world class Pinot, Chardonnay, like, there's amazing stuff in our backyard. And I think people sleep on that, um, and don't want to, like, you know, they don't want to drive a 35 mile. Um, it's, it's really vindicating to have, to have the spotlight. And, (laughs) <laughs> We've definitely had it in the last few years for other reasons that are not <laughs> that are not positive. So this feels really good to have a, a positive spotlight shine. Um, and I've tried over the last couple of years to get some some Portland people to come down just to sort of get the idea of the community, to sort of expand its boundaries a little bit and and realize that, you know, for all intents and purposes, Salem is it's not technically a bedroom community with Portland. But it could, you home. know, with housing prices, it and could so, easily
0: be a commuti- commutable situation for people into Portland. But I agree with you. You know, I've right. lived on the coast for eight years now. And when I I moved to here I moved to Oregon from Connecticut, and I always thought of course I thought Portland was very was an incredible place in so many ways, having to do not only with food, but so many different things. Um, But I always viewed Oregon as the whole state as what's really special. And Portland was just a big part of it. But Oregon, you know, that's one of the things that people talk about or that – any tourist commission talks about is it's not all about Portland within two hours. You've got the coast, you've got mountains, you've got rivers, and you've got other cities too. I mean, Corvallis has got some things going on Eugene for sure. And, uh, and our Astoria has got some great restaurants and some great things to do. So I've always thought that Oregon, it's all about Oregon and you pick and choose your spots. And I think it's great that, um, that Salem is now going to be in the conversation. I hope not only for this year, but going going forward too. So, um, and it's as you yeah. said, it's a positive. And I'm gonna. I I don't know if I'm gonna correct you or just th- ask. I, I think of it a little differently. I know it's been hard for you over the last years, and you were talking about. You referred to that and as in in relation to the James Beard nomination nomination as a positive thing that the rest was negative. But I think over time, it may be viewed as while it was difficult as a positive thing that, um, that, you know, you the movement had to be made anyway. So um, and you know, in the rearview mirror, yeah. things look a little different. So um, I, yeah, I yeah, hope I, I hope do. that's the case. But um, it's it's very cool. So Uh, I want to talk a little bit about you personally and um, how you got to where you are today. Was there a time where you were not going to go into cooking that you had another path that you were looking at? How did that happen?
3: Yeah. um, Well, I mean, I've been cooking since I could walk with with my dad, with my grandma, uh, been in the kitchen forever. But professionally, education-wise, you know, I, I went to school for, for writing and photography, and so art has always sort of been my thing. Uh, graduated and then was hit with this sort of the reality of the world, which is like, okay, how do I, how do I exist, and also do what I want to do. And
0: and where did you go to school, by the way? Uh, where did you go? To uh, I went
3: to school in uh, in Vermont at Marlboro College, which is sadly now okay. not in not in existence. Uh, it was. Oh, that's too bad. It was bought by uh, Barr, I believe, and sort of yeah, that sort of thing happened. But um,
0: I didn't know colleges bought each other and then now. sucked <laughs> them up and, and made them theirs. Uh, wow! So there was there was a there was a Putin in, at Barr yeah. who decided this is this needs to be yeah. ours.
3: Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't realize that I was a thing that could happen either. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was a, a wonderful school, wonderful education. I learned, learned a lot of things there. Um, but.
0: Is that where you grew up in Vermont or did you end up at that school? No, I ended
3: up there. So I'm, I'm originally from Southeast Pennsylvania, just outside of Philly. Um, and then went to high school in Wisconsin, um, just outside of Eau Claire. And so I've, I've sort of grown up in quite a few different cultures and sort of. Just absorbed a lot of those things, and I I consider both the culture of Southeast Pennsylvania and of the Upper Midwest to be something that I belong in. Um, You know, I, I was I was shaped by those places and by those people. So um, those things are those things are really important to me, and it, it's definitely one of my privileges to have had that experience, to to have had that cross-cultural education, just as a as a child as a teenager. Um, and then, you know, the, the four years I spent in Vermont were incredible. And that's the, you know, you're from, you're from the Northeast. It's a, it's a wonderful place and it's a very different culture than the other places that I was in. And so, you know, I got that experience then. Um, rugged rugged folks
0: well while you're on that <laughs> before i forget to ask this how do you compare the northeast to where you are now because i am so happy i moved are there yeah you know, i lived there a long time there are things to love about it and but a lot of, not to love about it so i just am really glad i'm in the pacific northwest now do you feel the same way i i would consider both
3: the northeast and the northwest about equal for me in terms of um Positives and negatives. Where my where my heart pines for is definitely both Philly and then Madison. Um those those cities in particular. But I think in the mixture of, you know, I like a lot of the culture in the northeast. I love the nature. I the nature here is better, I think. That's just my <laughs> my entirely biased opinion. Um, there's nowhere more beautiful than I've been. In this country, um, it is absolutely stunning.
0: Then I'm sorry, you cut out. Then nowhere more beautiful than where here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. I wanted to make sure that that was clear because yeah. I wasn't clear. Yeah. No. On that.
3: Oregon is just a stunning, stunning state. <laughs> every every time we go on a new hike, I'm sort of blown away. And
0: yeah, have you been up to the Wallawa Mountains? Because that was kind of the last thing I discovered, oh. and. Man, I thought I thought I knew it all, and then you go out there and you think, "Holy shit! There's this too that nobody ever told me about." No, so, I've, I've never been up there. Um, yeah, get up there to Joseph Enterprise area, sn- the Hells Canyon area. We do these, uh, we do these rafting trips there now. It's just incredibly beautiful, and it's a different terrain than it is here. So. Anyway, I just mentioned that uh, in passing because it just makes Oregon, the Pacific Northwest, even more beautiful to, to explore that. All
1: right, Chris, we are pausing just a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. Right. For
0: over, it says on their website, over 78 years, I'm thinking... We're getting close to 80. It might be over 79 years for Ringside Steakhouse. There are very few restaurants, I can only think of a couple in Portland, that can claim that banner, having been here through thick and thin for many years. Ringside is, of course, a, um, a hallmark when it comes for occasions, business meetings, or even uh, if you're just looking for great service and a great night
1: out. It's ringside. And, of course, you can't go wrong on Monday nights with their three-course prime rib dinner. Um, that includes, obviously, uh, the best prime rib in town. And also, of course, you get uh, you know other things that go along with it, which includes that creme brulee for dessert. Right, and I think their Yorkshire pudding, which is fantastic
0: as well. Oh, yeah. I'm going to suggest that if anybody hasn't had, enjoyed Wagyu steak, they check out Ringside and look at their offerings there. Um, Yes, it's a premium experience, but it's well worth it if you're a steak lover and want to try something out of the ordinary. Ringside does uh, a fantastic job sourcing their Wagyu beef from Japan.
1: And speaking of out, Chris, we should point, out that uh, maybe one of the great things that might have come from the pandemic is that takeout is still available at ringside steakhouse something that wasn't available before the pandemic
0: right you can order it up to an hour ahead of time up until 9 p.m you just uh, go to the ringside's website order a fantastic meal to enjoy at home it'll be better than whatever you
1: have planned and pick it up an hour later and on the website, Chris, we should also point out that's where you can make reservations or make those reservations through the Open Table app.
0: So you learned to cook then, and as, so you went to school and then you got out, and you, as many do, they realize they have to uh, support themselves yeah. <laughs> and end up in the restaurant industry. Is that how that happened? Yeah, it was a, it was a little bit of ending
3: up there and always. Wanted to have been involved in it. Um, I actually started um, my first job in in food service was as a. I worked at a store called Baum Saft, uh, which is German for "from the cask," and it was a oil, vinegar, and and high end spirit store. And so, I was I was working there and getting an education on sort of like a deep education on ingredients, uh, which to me was a really a really great way to sort of do the culinary trajectory, um, starting from literally the, the bare bones, the the beginnings of any recipe. Right. And I was also a little spoiled because as part of working there, you know, I had discounts. And so I was, I was definitely eating above my pay grade (laughs) on a, on a pretty regular basis in terms of the ingredients that, that we were using. Um, I worked for a chef there, uh, Chef Kevin Appleton, who you know, he was he was running their um, cooking classes and I was assisting him and he is a wonderful, classically trained chef who cooked in Chicago at a lot of places and sort of focused on his family and he is the one who taught me that you know, the life in a kitchen doesn't have to be hectic, doesn't have to be violence there doesn't have to be anger like you can run a kitchen effectively and still be a uh, calm and and pleasant person um and so that was you know I had never had the professional experience of having a chef you know yell at me uh, throw something at me and that's one of my privileges for sure is that you know I I was aware that that was part of the industry but I never actually experienced that and so I've been able to sort of use what Kevin showed me and use that to to lead my kitchen that
0: way. And you and you have to because it's pretty much out in the open there. You couldn't do otherwise yeah. <laughs> and uh, and have a an a hospitable environment there. So um that's cool so we're and where how did you progress from there and i just want to find out how you got to port how you ended up in not in portland in Oregon. yeah um so
3: we when we left madison um uh, we left basically because we were sick of the winter the year we left there was an 18 inch blizzard in the middle of may and that was that was our exit we were like no we're there's enough
0: of it. <laughs> that sounds like my, That is the. That's my exact ep- exit from Canada. Yeah. <laughs> and was my was my exact exit from Syracuse, New York, in college when I went out to L.A. So I completely understand yeah. that as like fuck yeah. this. Just let's go yeah on. too much. Uh,
3: so we went to Wilmington, North Carolina, actually from there, and we were on the hunt for a city that had similar. Similar demographics to Madison, but in a warmer climate, um, uh, which incidentally is how we ended up in Salem as well. Um, but so we spent a year and a half in Wilmington, uh, helped launch a food festival down there. Uh, I actually bartended most of my time that I was down there. Uh, did a little bit of kitchen work, but mostly we we sort of soft launched the beginning idea of our business down there. And we were we were calling it uh here we go. Yeah.
0: I just lost you, my friend. Hello. There you go. You're back. You were calling it five and five and dime? Was it five or what was it?
3: Uh five and dime. Yeah. I <laughs> um and we were doing just it was just my wife and I. and We were doing uh five dollar lunches out of our house. It was not a licensed situation. We were we were just trying to figure out how to survive down there. Um uh, and so we had the neighborhood that we were just providing things to, and then the bar I was working at um selling to customers there, and that was sort of the very beginning of our of our business venture was that um
0: and how long go- how long ago was that
3: two thousand
0: fourteen okay, so we're talking about a pretty short period of time ago,
3: yeah yeah yeah, yeah, so we uh decided that the south wasn't for us um, uh, which is a whole other conversation but <laughs> um and then had never lived in the pacific northwest and packed everything up in our little subaru and headed out here so
0: it's the right car for the pacific northwest at yeah. least you, your car drove you here your yeah car, <laughs> you were car driven yeah no pun intended <laughs> Are you still driving the Subaru? Same one or a different one?
3: Uh, we have we have two now. We still have that one. Um, it's a '91 Subaru.
1: <laughs>
0: Very good. <laughs> well, good. So you're fully entrenched. So, yeah. um, and it was a it was a little bit of a journey in Salem. You bounced around a few places and then did pop ups and. Open where you are now. And before I forget, I want to say, because you touched on it before, as far as Salem being a gateway to incredible wines, I loved, and I don't say this to a lot of people, I loved your wine list. I thought it, was, it had a beautiful selections, but it was just done so nicely and it was, it was so presentable and so welcoming that it was kind of hard to choose. But I just, I just thought I'd let you know. I, it's not something I tell people. You. I say that too a lot
3: uh, that means a lot because I spend a lot of time on it and I try really hard to sort of break down this barrier in wine that people think that it's for a particular demographic and that there needs yeah. to be this price tag attached to it and one of the one of the things we're proud of is that we will get college kids who come in here and order wine. I don't know anywhere else I've seen, Twenty-two-year-old order wine at a restaurant because it's mm-hmm. expensive or it's terrible, <laughs> and you know we we have a lot of varietals represented, a lot of regions represented, and it's, it's most of it's at a price point that like yeah you can experiment. You can go, you know what i've I've never had a Schmishway blend, but I'm gonna try it <laughs> because it's you know it's only nine bucks. Um,
0: right. So, yeah, um, that wasn't the only appealing factor for me. It was just the way it was laid out. There's a lot that you're doing that you know uh, might be subtle, but it just lends itself to the experience. That's always been my thing about restaurants: is the overall experience. And and your um, your wait staff was just ex- extremely friendly. Everything everything to me was was. Really top notch, and not um, it, it, and I'm talking about in regards to world standards, not just Oregon, because I think there are different standards here, yeah. slightly <laughs> different standards. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I I commend you, and I think that the uh, the beer nomination was was uh, very worthy so so i love the fact that you had your pop-ups called prologue and now your epilogue does that not leave you anything do you have to have a second epilogue does that, what does that leave you for your future you're already doing your epilogue
3: no so you now if we do something else we'll, we'll probably um start a new book basically um new model and and go from there but what we really want to do Going forward if we can find a space for it and the time to make it happen is, our original vision was to eventually have prologue and epilogue operate in the same space. Um, one as one as pastry in the morning and afternoon and then epilogue more bar focused. So
0: um,
3: that's our goal is to get them both operational under the same in the same building. But we wanna buy a building. Um, that's like pipe dreams down the way down the road. But the of renting
0: well i would say uh a beard nomination might help you draw investors right not only now but in the future just the fact that you have that on your resume is uh you know you've got you've got a lot of folks um yeah in the state north and south who have some money who might want to invest in a restaurant whether you want to be dealing with them that's another story (laughs) but uh (laughs) but there's money there is money out there there's more money than i could imagine in the in the state to uh to generate that so that's cool so um uh uh, but let's talk a little more specifically about how you got to epilogue in salem i'm curious about that yeah or prologue (laughs) uh,
3: so landed here and again we were just sort of trying to find some spaces to get an income so that we can keep a roof over our head. And I ended up at, uh, Santium Wine and Bistro, which is one of the very few bottle shops in town. Uh, it's a great bottle shop. And she has this little kitchen and hired me on Halloween. <laughs> I actually, I went in there. It was a very strange experience. Um, I went in just sort of dropping resumes and they were all in costume. <laughs> and, I I kind of forgot it was Halloween. I'd just been on the grind for a couple weeks, like trying to figure things out, and I completely spaced that it. it was Halloween. so I went in, and I was just like, "What? <laughs> this is very weird." And I like, uh, it was Adam's family, too, and so Debbie, the owner, of, was I want to say she was Morticia, and so I mm-hmm. like, and so I like handed my resume to Morticia Adams, and then she. <laughs> That day they were short staffed, and she's like, "Well, can you work right now?" And I was like, "Yeah." So got this job there, and she gave me a lot. Of- and did they call
0: you? Did they call you Grandpa right away? Although I might be in the Munsters realm there. It may not be <laughs> the Adams family now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, you know,
3: it was. It was. Uh, it was a very surreal experience. They. It took a while for them after that to for me to feel like. Well one, I couldn't remember their name because my first my first interaction with them was them in total documents. And so I'd meet them, you know, the next like two weeks and I was like, Okay, you are not yeah <laughs> and have to try and, and try and get that. But Debbie Debbie was really nice to me and really gave me a lot of freedom there. Um I started running Friday night specials out of that that little kitchen there and uh we did some really really amazing wine pairing dinners with some great producers. Um, and I worked there on and off for quite a few years, uh, four or five years. And then I helped launch uh, Tack Root, which is a bar here in town, uh, wrote, wrote his opening menu and launched his kitchen, ran that for a year and a half. And then after that, sort of left, we bought a food truck and we were running Prologue out of the food truck, um, and we had our house licensed as a as a you know home home based bakery as well. And then, um, so ran that for a while. We did Crispum Wine uh, just in West Salem, just over the bridge there. For
0: what was that? I'm sorry, repeat that because it cut out a little bit. Uh,
3: crispum, uh, the winery. How do you spell there, that? them uh c-r-i-s-t-o-n
0: okay christom okay
3: uh absolutely stunning stunning wine great people and they were kind enough to let me sort of park the truck up there on weekends and do my thing and experiment with a bunch of stuff um i had actually been a harvest chef for them the two years prior to that so uh, that was a wonderful experience as well that was if I had the time, I would do that again in a heartbeat for somebody because that was—it was so fun getting to know the harvest interns and, and you know hanging out with them while they were doing their thing and then nourishing them at the at the lunch and dinner hours and so that was really fun. Um, and then we flipped the truck to a model with a brewery that was in town called Salem Ale Works. Uh, they expanded, and when they expanded and moved, we were their sole food provider, and so we did sort of more Northwest-focused caverns for about a year and a half. That was a blast, um, and then when that closed, we just, that summer, so we our contract ended, we, we stopped that, and then that summer, we just started looking for a space and jumped right into this, this our, our location downtown just sort of came on the market at about the same time and, you know, happened to be in a position to be able to, to pounce on it. And so here we are, three years later.
0: Fantastic. Um, uh, have you had any, did any any chefs or restaurants in Portland uh, appeal to you and a place that you thought would be, that you loved enough to respect and maybe bring a little bit back into your restaurant? Or, um, are there any friends you have in Portland that, um, that are of particularly note to you?
2: Yeah.
3: Um, so I'm absolutely, you know, infatuated with everything that Republica does. Um, they've been really supportive of us just like via social media of all the things that we do and, and the first time that we went up there for dinner, my wife and I, it was sort of a rekindling of, of our desire what we started doing, which was sort of, you know, in, intentional pairing and, you know, a little bit more inventive and pushing boundaries a little bit. And I can't speak highly enough of, of what they do and the crew there and their unapologetic embrace of who they are and where they come from. Um, it it really is quite a wonderful experience to go up there. I also love and their ti-
0: and their timeline mirrors yours or parallels yeah. yours. Yeah. Uh, too. They opened right before this all the shit hit the fan too.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So they're just you know they're definitely something that we look up to quite a bit. Um, and it's quite an honor to be obviously different categories, but to be on the list. In the same time as them um, is quite something for us.
2: And there, honestly,
3: there's a lot of bars up there. um, I'm that are just they're just doing it right. Um, We just went to Rum Club last week. That place is awesome. I love it there.
0: You know what I love about your saying that is that one of you know every a lot of people entrenched in the food world are always looking for the shiny new thing, which by the way is you and Republica. Uh, But the places like the rum club have been there forever and it's harder for them to get noticed. The only way they get noticed is being consistent and having a strong enough following to have lots of people recommend them and keep going back. So yeah. rum club is definitely one of those spots that's been around for a long time. And, and, uh, I love that spot. It's a, it's a nice one for you to point out.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, good. And obviously, um, Uh, A strong bar program and wine program has had a lot of influence on what you do because it's, you know, it's not only about the food where you are. The cocktails uh, are a big part of it and and, uh, the wine program, too. So um, I'm. You know, one of the things that I one of the reasons we're doing this podcast, and one of the reasons I the chief reasons I started Portland Food Adventures, which by the way the seed of it was like uh, twelve years ago, wow. yesterday, uh, at a oh, at great. a restaurant in South Car- a restaurant in South Carolina where I had the food of this incredible woman named Di who was serving the food her grandmother's served on slave plantations and I ate her food and I said to her I was the only one in the restaurant and uh she asked me where I was from and I said Portland and she said wow I heard that's an incredible food scene up there this was uh, 2011 maybe Hello? no 2010 and um and I sat there eating her fried chicken and her okra and everything and thought, man, if she's heard about this, there's something to this Portland thing. Maybe I should start a way of promoting all the great folks I've met up there. And that's how this started. But to bring this full circle, um, one of the things I've always had interested in, I think you guys are—I our I hate to use the word rock stars. I used to say our sports celebrities because Portland only has basketball, <laughs> and maybe now sock, and maybe now soccer. But I come from a place where you know we had two football teams, two baseball teams, and I've always thought our chefs are our really. It's a really cool thing that you can you can get close to chefs here, which in Connecticut you could not do. They were back in the kitchen and you didn't get to see them or talk to them. And here you could have a relationship with them. And um, I've always felt that's really special. And, you know, this podcast today makes me realize, you know, you talked about things that rekindled your, or just reenergized you. I love the fact that we can meet someone like you who's uh, a thoughtful person and that I can, in my way, help um, showcase you as a person and your talents to other people and hopefully uh, result in p- excellent experiences for people. That's what it's all about, yeah. is that if they can get down there and learn something new today that they hadn't learned. So um, I didn't know if there's anything I missed that you perhaps wanted to talk about. Um and, and i know we've taken more of your time than i than i asked you for so um i and i know you're busy it's today is wednesday and you've got your tasting menu does that start today or tomorrow 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 okay so today's prepping and all that yeah. so yeah jonathan i really appreciate the opportunity to uh have gotten to know you a little better. You know, we had a five minute chat when we came into the restaurant, this is an hour. And, yeah. uh, and now everyone gets to benefit from uh, hearing how you think too. Yeah. So uh, I really appreciate it. yeah, no, and I hope every I, I hope a lot of people make that drive down to, uh, to try epilogue because it's Absolutely worth it. Hey, I've been trying to tell people about places on the coast. That's an uh, that's two hours. This is thirty five minutes down to Salem, and uh, and, there are, and you know what? There are a lot of people who are going to go down there and go. Hey, this city looks pretty cool. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I think that's a good thing. So yeah. uh, th- thank you very much. I sincerely appreciate it, and uh, I hope to see you soon. And, and maybe down the road when we start doing events again, I'd love to chat with you about that too. I think. Uh, yeah. Maybe a, maybe solo or a collaboration would be awesome. Yeah, um, please do. So. Great. All right. Well, thank you. Good luck on your third anniversary. Uh, maybe we can talk again coming up to your fourth anniversary and see how awesome. the last year has gone. Awesome. All right, man. Take care. Thanks.